Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Jed Shepherd, and I'm a host of a podcast called What to Watch on Netflix. And today I've got some special guests. I've got Sean Hudson. That's me. <laughs> and I've got Grady Hendrix. Hello. And they're both horror authors. And I don't know if you know anything about me if you listen to my podcast, but I'm also massive into horror. So essentially, we're going to talk about because this show is really about recommending underrated, underseen films. But we're going to kind of be a bit, a bit looser today and talk about your projects and maybe what influenced you and your favourite films. And actually, there's a little bit of simpatico today because both of you have had experience with novelizations of films. Yeah. That's uh, right. Yeah, and I, I, I did um, Terminator. Yeah. The James Cameron one, which was unfortunately illegal. Really? Um, I discovered after it was published. And then there was another one by a guy called Randall Frakes. Okay. Um, and I think it's... To, to my knowledge, it's one of the few films that's had two novelisations, but that's <laughs> possibly, like I say, because the publishers never paid for the rights on the version that I did. They just right. said to me, here's a script, give us a novelisation, which so I did. So why did they give it to you? Because you've done, like, slugs. Um, well, I'd already, no, I'd already, I'd already done about six books before that anyway. Wow, OK. And um, also, my agent was um, very heavily involved with that publisher. And okay. they just said, here's, here's a script that I've picked up, which yeah. he had, literally, and uh, turn it into a, into a book, which I did in about 15 days. So, wow. Yeah. And what's the process of turning a script into a book? Is it literally just trying to think what well, the characters, well, fill in the gaps, basically? No, I mean, I've done it with... I did it with three Hammer films as well. Um, oh. X the Unknown, Revenge of Frankenstein, and... Well, <laughs> Twins of Evil, that's it. Wow, and it's, I, I, I just think there's no point in changing the structure and yeah. don't, don't mess around with something that worked on screen. Yeah. And it's, it's just a matter of adding a few characters, adding a few scenes to pad it out, you know, to make yeah. it set, uh, 300 pages instead of, like, the 35 that the script would be. Yeah. So, but it, I mean, it's, it's not particularly restrictive. Um, you know, you, you can still try and put your own mark on it it's, it's just obviously you have to keep within the parameters of, of what you've got in front of you or I think you should I don't know if Grady agrees with that but yeah no I, I, I write about novelizations I've never actually done one but I was going to say you make it sound so easy what about the whole part where you have to turn Michael Myers into a druid because that was in that first <laughs> well, Halloween actually, novelization actually I'm just thinking you're talking about Michael Myers I was offered um, the novelization of Oh, God. Uh, not of a Halloween one, but of Friday the 13th. I think wow. it was part five. Or oh, it might even have been... What are we up to? Part we're up five. to about 26, aren't we? I don't know. Now we're up to 13. If right. They, if the re- it's, it's a reboot, but it would be it was, 13. It was the one before the Jason one in, goes the one in outer space. What was the one before the one in uh, outer that, space? That was Jason X, um, where he goes to space. Yeah, the one, one, before, the one that, before that. Is that Jason Goes to Hell? Uh, mm-hmm. Eight is Manhattan. Nine is Hell. Right, right okay. Well, I was, I was offered Hell and said <laughs> no. What? Um, it's yeah. great. Erin Gray's in there. I was also <laughs> offered snakes on a plane and said no. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I, well, they, my agent rang up and said, will you do a novelisation? I said, what is it? And she said, snakes on a plane. I just thought, that is a really dumb idea, which basically <laughs> goes to show why I'm broke and Samuel L. Jackson's not. But That could have been a pop-up book, really. Just it could have been, yeah. Massive well, snake scratch and sniff or something, really. But, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's there. The whole thing, the plot is there. Everything's there for you from a, yeah. from a writing yeah. point of view. It's just a matter of, of padding it out and just making it readable for 300 or 400 pages. Isn't it? Well, in X the Unknown, I'd recommend the book over the movie. Oh, I think it's incredible. You, you, got that, you got that check in the post. <laughs> <don't you? laughs> I did. It was cash. I said cash. So, so you, your new book is uh, the, about the novelization of, of films from the 70s and the 80s. Um, why did you pick that 
Well, it's not just novelizations. It's the whole paperback boom. Right. Uh, You know, that started out with uh, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, The Other, and then launched this whole paperback boom. You were a big part of that with Slugs and Spawn. Um, And uh, and, and also, I mean, over here, it was NEL, it was Corgi, it was Hamlin. It was just this huge flood, mostly it seemed of animals who wanted to kill British people. (laughs) Um, I think that was the James Herbert influence from the rats. I'm sure you know, and I'm sure it's in the book, which I haven't read yet, but I will be when I get a free copy. Um, <laughs> James Herbert was discovered yeah. by the same publisher who published Stephen King in this country for the first oh. time, who published Dean Koontz for the first time, and who also discovered me. So he's, he has got quite a lot to, to answer for. It was uh, Bob Tanner, right? That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now sadly deceased, unfortunately. But he, he had a fantastic eye for yeah. that kind of thing. And, and, but Slugs wasn't originally going to be Slugs. It was going to be Leeches. Oh. Um, and then he, he read um, a book that I did called Death Day, which also came out not too long after that. And he said, why don't you do a book all about slugs, which I thought was really stupid, because <laughs> you know, it's not like they can chase you or anything yeah. like that. But uh, obviously it worked once I did the, I did the research. But how, how far back did you go? Because uh, uh, you've, you've got Dennis Wheatley, really. That was about it before then. Dennis Wheatley was kind of it. I mean, there were smaller yeah. things in there. There was uh, Peter Saxon. I don't know if yeah, you were, there yeah, was a yeah. pin name for a bunch yeah. of different authors who yeah. did these sort of mod occult novels by these guys like we're the guardians and like one new judo one's a priest one's a reporter and uh they fight evil in in britain and also they go across and fight it in france um in france they actually wind up fighting a bunch of were sharks nazi were sharks which i thought was a fabulous idea sounds like a trauma movie yeah exactly <laughs> um but yeah no so th- so it was those guys uh and that was sort of the precursor over here these guardians novels because before i mean i'm, I'm speaking is a very old person who remembers James Herbert when he started. I mean, before James Herbert, if you went into a horror, if you looked in a horror section in a, in a big bookshop, the only thing that was there was Dennis Wheatley, like yeah. I say, maybe Peter Saxon and, and William Peter Blay. That was it. There yeah. was nothing else there. And you know, I mean, Dennis Wheatley, bless him, but he was radically conservative and right. really stiff. And so in 74, like, which is the year punk broke, to suddenly have James Herbert, who yeah. was so pissed off about everything. You know, he was mad about rats. He was mad about class. He, he was mad about gym teachers. He really hated gym teachers. One dies in, I think, each book. Um, but, but to suddenly have that must have been so great to be a young person. You know, what, what's this yeah. rats? And yeah, just it, get your it was face like, ripped like off. like nothing anybody <laughs> yeah. had ever read before. Yeah. And, and I, that was one of the things that got me started, I must admit. I just, although it was another eight or nine years before I actually wrote anything. Yeah. But it was, it was actually Guy and Smith. Um, with Night of the Crabs because I'd, I'd read loads of James Herbert and Stephen King and then I read Night of the Crabs and I just thought this is so awful <laughs> if, you know, and I've been saying that ever since I mean if, if, I had, if I hadn't read Night of the Crabs I would probably not be a writer today so thank but, you uh, Guy you know. Guy and Smith inspiring people generation yeah. after generation yeah. but see if you think Night of the Crabs is bad you've clearly never read The Sucking Pit by Guy and Smith <laughs> no. which is even is, worse is that the one that's about 100 pages long it's one of them it's, like, it's like a pamphlet isn't it yeah. It's, you feel like his editor was like bugging him for yeah. pages. Yeah, just, just publish this. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's a sequel to The Walking Dead, which is like the most anonymous title ever. Yeah. But uh, no, but Herbert, uh, he was NEL, I think, first. Yes, he was, yeah. And those guys, I've been talking to a bunch of those old authors, like Nick Sharman, who was mm. Scott Grunmark. I mean, that place was a pirate ship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was bonkers. Were you ever over there in the office? No, I, I, was, um, I was Star, um, which was even more down market than NEL. You know, yeah. Was, but it, but it it was great, but publishing was so different then. It was, it really was like rock and roll in those yeah. days. And there were a lot, and I, I don't want to offend any new authors, but there was a lot more 
personality. There was a lot more showmanship in those yeah. days, for want of a better word. Have we not seen Grady's jacket? Yeah, well, well, other than <laughs> this him, is, This is nothing. To be, if, I, if it was 1978 and we were at NEL, this jacket would be stuffed with cocaine. <laughs> You know, in talking to the publicists at NEL, they talk about, you know, there was an author who did science, he had a special pen built, so it had a little cocaine cartridge yeah. at the end of it, so he could have a quick sniff during long signings to keep <laughs> Happy the Happy days. Up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they often had to find them, he was saying he often had to find visiting authors a doctor for their VD. Wow. Uh, yeah, a little quiet visit to the hotel room with the doctor. Uh, always, you can find the VD doctor at uh, booth number 1132, <laughs> guys. Um, my experience with slugs is, um, I went to school in South London, Right. and my school had no money so they relied on donated books right. and so um, someone donated a bunch of horror books and one of them was Slugs oh, sure. so, I, so when I, I think I was like 7 or 8 I had Slugs That's and I did actually did like a school project on Slugs <laughs> like, I, I, can, I can only apologise for that yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant and um, I mean what did you think of the ad- I mean you adapt films but what did you think of the adaptation of your, of your well, book well I did, a, I did a, um, a DVD commentary for the film Oh, not long ago yeah. and I'd actually watching it again it's not I mean it's it's shit I know but it's, <laughs> it's not as it's not hatefully bad yeah. and, and I think that the unfortunate thing is it actually did capture the sort of essence of the novel and of my writing and there's, there's a bit there's another commentary where well, I can't remember the guy's name but he says halfway through why is everybody in this film an arsehole everybody's so horrible to each other and I thought <laughs> that's right yeah, he's right yeah he's right and, and I, I've checked back through some of my other books and it's like yeah basically Everybody's horrible to everybody in it, but it's it's not that awful. I mean, it's not a, it's not Citizen Kane. I'll admit that, but it's it's fun, you know. And it, I picked it up again in, in a secondhand shop yeah. earlier this year, um, and it's still great. I mean, it's it's a fun read. It's it's held up reasonably well. I mean, considering yeah. I, I mean I was only twenty three when I wrote it, yeah, um, and it's it's held up reasonably well. You know, I mean, obviously when you read in any old book like that, you have to take into account that there weren't mobile phones that were, yeah. you know, we didn't have the internet and stuff like that. You think, maybe I should reboot all these with, with modern technology, and they think, nah, nah. But, no, it was fun. It was fun to write, and it's hopefully people still find it that way when they read it. Can I just say, I am amazed to be on stage when you're saying something nice about slugs. I've never heard you say any. It's like Stephen King in The Shining. Like, oh, you've well, never had anything nice to say about that movie, and I've always wanted to say those slugs are so adorable with their teeth. Well, the thing is, I think some of this, I mean, I think looking at it again, when I was doing the commentary, I, I realised... I mean, some of the special effects are not that bad for 1980, yeah. you know. And I, I think I was just very harsh on it at the time because <laughs> I, I saw it at a, film, a horror film festival. They'd flown a print over. It was the only time I ever saw it on a big screen. And I just remember... I, I was sitting there like one of the uh, people in the audience on the producers, you know, I was literally just... Like that, and it's like, and somebody said to me, "Is this anything like the book?" It's like, it's fuck all to do with the book. It's got, it's got slugs in it. That's about it. But you know, you know that. You know, every writer knows that. When you sell the rights, you know that there's very little chance of what you wrote yeah. appearing on that screen. But and you, you know, you take the money and run. Not yeah. very much money in my case, but you know, but yeah, you're right. I've, I've sort, I think I've mellowed over the years, Grady. It's, it's you know, not that bad. And Grady, potentially one of your books has been possibly turned into a film. Uh, yes. Your first book, um, Horror Store. Yeah, the um, one about the haunted Ikea. Yeah, see, my, my experience, my own, the worst experience I've ever had in a, in a big store is when I was little, I tried to, you know these chicken machines where you put in 50p and you get an egg with a toy in it? Sure. I didn't want to pay the 50p, so I stuck my hand in and my hand got caught um, and I was there for like an hour 
just embarrassed. That's the only, that's my horror story. Why did they leave you there for an hour? Was it like a head on a pike to I, warn other children? I was so embarrassed. Like, I, like my mum was somewhere in the store. I was like a, a kid and I didn't want to tell anyone. So I was kind of like just snuck next to the machine and just, just there for ages wondering what to do. Um, but your book, um, explain horror story, horror store, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just, it's a haunted Ikea. It's what yeah. it says on the box. Um, you know, it's, Ikea is one of those places. It's, it's the only place that deliberately tries to make you lost. Uh, there's something called the Groon Transfer, which is this retail psychology where you want to, once you take away people's sort of reference points, um, you, they walk slower yeah. and they're more open to suggestion. Yeah. Um, and so that's why casinos have like patterned carpets and no windows and no clocks. And that's why at Ikea, the path turns, I think it's every nine meters, they insist on the path turning wow. that you're supposed to go because too straight, you'll get bored and you'll start focusing on where you're walking, not what's around you. <laughs> so Ikea is the only place that deliberately wants you to get lost, which is what mazes used to, or labyrinths used to do, mm-hmm. right? They get you lost and you wander around and supposedly enter some kind of like spiritual meditative state. And then you get to the center and there's a, a water feature or a reflective ball. And it says like Tempus Fugit. And you go, mm, yeah, <laughs> you reflect on soulful matters. That's Ikea, except in the center is, is the checkout. And then you just, they depart you of your cash. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, and look at The Shining. Yeah. That whole hotel and the way it's organized, the overlook, to be this labyrinth, to be a place where you get lost, where you get disoriented. I mean, that's Ikea, you know, <laughs> without sales counters. And um, would you like to see it made into a film, do you think? You know, I mean, sure, I- as long as the check's clear. I don't <laughs> yeah. care. I mean, turn it into a film. Tele- they're saying television show. Okay. Um, and it's weird. They sent me the script for it. Um, and it felt like getting a postcard from my kids have gone off to university. I was like, oh, you know, Ruth Ann, it's not doing very well for her. I hope she gets out of this. It was just, you're very distanced from it, yeah. you know? I mean, I'm sure you felt the same way with slugs. There's a lot of distance once someone else takes oh, it I was, on. I was just trying to imagine a haunted Ikea. It's quite terrifying, right? Um, how long ago was that written? Is that recent? 2014. Uh, yeah. Oh, right, right, yeah. Uh, sorry, what was the question? I was just totally tight. No, no, I was saying uh, that distance, you know, when someone options one of your things. And yeah, you but I think, I think you have to have that. Right? Yeah. Right? I think it's more or less a case of as soon as you sign the rights away, just forget about it. There's no point in being precious about it. Right. I mean, I remember when uh, Tom Clancy, I think, sold the rights to, I think it was Patriot Games, and he, he was then moaning that it was nothing like what he'd written. It's like... Tell me you got $3 million for the rights. Just, you know, go on holiday with it, mate. You know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't understand that because unless you're, you know, of the selling power of somebody like J.K. Rowling, you know, as I said earlier, you know that what turns up on that screen is going to bear very little resemblance to what you, to what you wrote. Yeah. You know? I mean, sometimes it's going to be better. Oh, uh, well, yeah, exactly. Have yeah. you re- ever read uh, Peter Benchley's Jaws, the book? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the movie's much, brilliant, but, yeah. but the book is... Really? It's mostly about adultery, yeah. isn't it, the book? Adultery, and there's a whole mafia subplot that yeah. takes up a third of the book about the mafia buying up land in Amityville. You know, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Where's the shark? That, yeah, that is, I think that is one of the examples, like you say, of where, of it, yeah. where the film trimmed away all the rubbish. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, we, everyone's there just to see the shark. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, and your, your, ne- your next book after that was My Best Friend's Exorcism. Yes. Now, coincidentally, a really good friend of mine, I wouldn't say he's my best friend, he's, had, um, he's been exorcised. Oh, really? Yeah. He... Catholic exorcism, Protestant deliverance? Oh, I don't know. Well, but basically, basically he, he's in a band, um, and he did a Ouija board while he was away. I'm not going to say which band, but they're playing at Wembley tomorrow. Um, and <laughs> he um, became distanced from his bandmates, and um, started acting out and just being very strange. And 
he wasn't playing his instrument in time, which is kind of normal for him. But then um, they kind of figured, I don't know how he figured out, but they got an exorcist, this blind psychic called Sharon Neal, who's uh, from Ireland. I don't know if you've heard of Sharon Neal, but she's, she's been on TV loads. Um, Channel 4 did a documentary about her exercising the demons from him, and it's intense. And he also blames me for being possessed because I kind of engineered him doing this Ouija board. Um, Have you been exercised? I think I need to. Yeah, I think, I think you should have warned us about that before we got up. Yeah. I, 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 during a course of research for a book called Shadows, I once spoke to a couple that had done stupidly played around with a Ouija board and had been forced to move out of their house about three weeks later because of the haunting okay. that happened. Um, I mean, the, the possession thing, I think, is, is a lot scarier. I mean, it's, obviously, it's more frightening being possessed by a demon than having some crockery thrown around. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I like the idea, though, that, that he becomes a, a sort of a shit musician and they're like, well, it must be a demon. Like, I want to see <laughs> yeah. this in the workplace. You know, your work's that, that, not that, up to That stuff. would explain the whole of the X Factor, really. But they right. all, a fucking lot of them must be possessed. Yeah. You know, your, your, your department's underperforming. We think you're possessed. We're going to get an exorcist in here for, for you know, your paper goods concern. Well, in China, that's quite common. Um, I, I was reading an article in The, the Atlantic where um, if, you, if you've broken up with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you can't think of the reason why you broke up, it's because they're possessed. <laughs> so you have to try and get them exercised so you can get back together with them. Well, there's actually a really interesting thing in Hong Kong with the film industry back in the 90s. There was a guy who was a feng shui master who everyone would go to him to title their movies. Because in Chinese characters, it's a lot about the calligraphy and yeah. sort of how it flows and less about the literal meaning of the title. So a lot of the Hong Kong movies in the 90s, like not The Killer or Hard Boy, those are the English titles. But like the John Woo films and stuff, they would have this guy who would meditate on it and, and, and sort of channel something and, and come up with their titles. Wow. So they're all very poetic. Nice. Um, are there any films out at the moment or in, in the recent past, um, horror films, I would say, oh, right. that you've been, that you've thought is, is, is interesting or you've, you think it's a little bit underrated? Can you well, think other of Other than it. Yeah, what, what did you think of it? Well, I, I, enjoy, I mean, I went in, obviously, intending to hate it because it's yeah. Stephen King, but <laughs> I, I, I was very impressed and I, I would yeah. like to think that it was popular because it's got, a, I mean, I don't know if it's just me, but it's got a kind of old school look to it. I mean, I mean yeah. the, you know, the Stranger Things effects. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's, there's not jump cuts every three seconds. It's not all shot in desaturated colours in semi darkness, yeah. which I hate. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, having said that, I saw uh, Jigsaw yesterday. Did you? Yeah, um, which I did hate. You know, so, <laughs> okay. so I, I just, that generic look to horror movies yeah. now just drives me out the wall. And, yeah. and I think that's one of the reasons it worked very well because it, it didn't have that generic look to it. And it, obviously because it was based on a book, possibly it was written in the 80s when mm -hmm. plot was a little bit more important than, yeah. you know, than just ripping people's heads off. But I don't know. Well, I think it plays upon the, the whole nostalgia porn that's, that's happening at the moment where guys of a certain age um, are reminiscent about their youth where everything was great, TV was great, movies were great. And everybody was bullied, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like things like Stranger things have just kind of yeah. catapulted anything remotely related to that into the kind of into, into the spotlight and I think it just hit at the right time yeah um, just well, made all the money basically somebody said to me do you think that it will like have a knock-on effect for the horror genre in general I said no it'll have a knock-on effect for Stephen King because that, oh, all wow. it will mean is that people want to film every single thing it is ever written yeah it, it okay. certainly, I don't think do you, I don't think it will for the whole genre do you right? no but also the whole genre is already having this great I mean Blumhouse is just you know yeah. just in the states they just had another hit movie that was number happy one happy death five, day yeah happy death similar day similar to your death day which I also thought was shit <laughs> which again goes yeah, to prove I, haven't I, know absolutely, like I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about I mean well you know Groundhog Day meets Friday the 13th. No, sorry. Yeah. But 
But I also think, you know, you were just talking about Saw. I think the slashers and the, I guess people call it torture porn, although I hate that yeah. name. Yeah. But I find those are genres that run out of steam real fast. Yeah. Um, unless you've got a good idea to keep it going. I mean, people get tired of the gore, you know? Yeah. I mean, Eli Roth, to me, is the, is the worst filmmaker alive. He, he's got no talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Although, I gotta say, I really love the original Hostel. Hostel one, yeah. The, the yeah. first one, I know, I know, I'm not, not everyone's no, taste, it's but... All, it's all a matter of opinion, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, but The Green I Inferno was yeah. just an abomination. Knock, yeah. knock. Was... Well, also, I wasn't sure, why are you remaking Italian cannibal movies yeah. from the 70s? Like, if there's one genre we should leave in its grave, it's cannibal <laughs> movies. I mean, <laughs> they're racist, they're xenophobic, they're mis... I mean, they're just really, really... That's probably two of the very reasons why they're yeah. coming. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and are there, are there any other movies you can think of? Uh, what, horror? or just Yeah, it doesn't have to be recent. Uh, just one that you kind of recommend that you've... I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything horror. I can think of okay. a couple of films. Yeah, year. go for it. Um, Wind River, I thought was absolutely superb. Wind River? Yeah, with, um, oh God, Jeremy Renner. Okay. Uh, which is a superb thriller. What's um, that about? That's, um, it's, a, well, it's set on a Native American... Um, reservation. A girl's found dead, and they, they have to go back and find out how she got into the middle of nowhere. Okay. And she was attacked. She was attacked by these guys, and it, but it's it's so tense and it's so yeah. emotional as well. But I, I really do like that. I'm, I mean, as much as I'm involved with horror, and I do love horror movies, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, a horror film wouldn't be top of my list for you know of the films of the year. I think yeah. it is is an exception there in that it is very well made as well. I've got a question for you. Are, yeah. are you aware of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Yeah, that's not me. That was based... <laughs> I, don't know, that, I don't know what he's been saying. That was based on James Herbert, seriously. Oh, yeah, but, you know, it was, it, I mean, it's obviously James Herbert, but, like, it plays upon the kind of British horror kind of tropes, and you're definitely yeah, part but it's, of that. It's a, it's a very easy target. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's, that's always annoyed me. People, oh, yeah, horror novels. It's like, well, what are you reading? Chick lit. You know, I mean, we've, there's cliches within every genre, whether yeah. it's a film or a book or whatever. And it's a matter of do, do you embrace those cliches as a writer or, or whatever or a viewer, or do, you, or do you treat them with contempt? And yeah. I, I just think, you know, something like Garth Marenghi, I, just, I think I saw one episode and it was like, mm-hmm. I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, I, would, I would say to, to pursue with Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, because I think it, it does kind of make fun of the, the horror tropes, but also kind of expands upon it, and like it's almost like a love letter to, to yeah, British yeah, horror. I'll, t- I'll take your word for that. Yeah. I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah, although I have to say, speaking of Dark Place, Alice Lowe, who got yeah. her start, I think, yeah. on Dark Place, she just did Prevenge, she which did. I thought was quite she, good. Was oh, she so in da- um, Dark Place? Yeah. She's the, the female lead oh, with yeah. telekinesis. Like a terrible wig. Yeah. 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 Um, but I thought Prevenge was great. Prevenge yeah. was amazing, and um, I was just telling Grady earlier, I've just done a film, I'm a film writer as well, yeah. and I just did a film with Alice Lowe, which is... Um, um, on Fox on Halloween, if yeah. you guys are in America, <laughs> and it's been—it's pl- a short film. It's been played during American Horror Story, and yeah. and then we're going to expand it into a feature. Um, but yeah, Alice Lowe's brilliant. She's—I yeah. um, got to spend like a little bit of time with her. She's an obsessive horror fan as well. Yeah. Um, she's working on a number of different kind of uh, horror movies. Right. She's a real talent. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about uh, Paperbacks from Hell. Yeah, well, no, I was just going to say something, actually, because when you're talking about Alice Lowe, I was just yeah. thinking about uh, Ben Wheatley. Oh, and, uh, so good. You know, Ben Wheatley's great, and Kill was fantastic, but, you know, you guys have something that I'm very jealous of over here, which we don't have in the States, which is this tradition of folk horror. Yeah. Going back to the Wicker Man, and, yeah. and a lot of BBC stuff as a kid. I grew up, I spent a few Stone years, tapes? Stone tapes. Oh, so um, good. Children of the Stones. Yeah. I mean... I was a kid living in Dulwich for a couple of years when I was like five and five to seven, and and 
British television was so formative. You know, yeah. Sapphire and Steel and all yeah. these, like, super dark, weird shows. Well, the, the BBC used to do um, a horror story based on an M.R. James. Yeah, every, the, I mean, the, every Christmas, a Christmas yeah, horror story. Absolutely yeah. terrifying. The, the one for the treasure of Abbot Thomas is, yeah. is, to this yeah. day is one of the scariest things I've ever seen. The, whist, the black and white whistle and yeah. all. Oh, deal. so yes. good. Really amazing. Yeah. And I, I, you know, when I went back to the States where television was very commercial and happy and upbeat and the colors are bright <laughs> and I missed all the sort of dank, damp, BBC darkness and gloom. <laughs> Pinda's Finn yeah. was, a, was a television movie, which is a dark, twisted film that's yeah. fantastic. Stone Tapes is something I always try to recommend to people. Yeah. Um, 70s, it was a TV movie originally, wasn't it? Yeah. It was yeah, made yeah. for TV. And it's just, just the ideas in that one story. It's just incredible. The, the, the a, a ghost is kind of like trapped within the stones. It's like a recording device. It's really hard to explain, yeah. but it's, it's just amazing. Yeah. No, I, th- I think, well, I think that tradition, that British Gothic Misty obviously came from Hammer, didn't it? I yeah. mean, I would, I would oh, yeah. have thought a lot of the guys that went into TV were quite influenced by, you know, by Hammer movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I, I, that is part. It is a wonderful part of our heritage. I think that uh, you know the sort of ghost. Well, and you guys have Ghost Watch, which I think is still one of the greatest. I've got a Ghost uh, Watch uh, enamel pin on my jacket. <laughs> Um, well, it's amazing it's gotten so popular again. Because I remember in the late 90s, no one really... T- oh, nice. Yeah. Sarah Green and Ghostwatch. Yeah. Yeah. Pipes. Yeah, I, I'm seeing Ghostwatch on Halloween um, with uh, Stephen Volk, the writer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, and, and, and Ghostwatch is another thing that I like to recommend to people as well, just because it's insane. And, it was, and it's also the basis of a lot of the horror, that's the James Wan-type horrors that are out now. Um, the Conjuring stuff, Annabelle, that's all, all kind of owes something. And Poltergeist activity owes something to Ghostwatch, I feel. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my opinions on James Wan and myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got to admit, though, that the films that he makes have, has kind of brought horror into the mainstream, which can only be a good thing. It'll have a knock-on effect for everyone else. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I don't think it has. I mean, like I say, with the, with the Stephen King, you know, with it, yeah. that's, yeah. Not, that's not going to have a knock-on effect into the genre at large, I don't think. I'm, okay. You know, I might, maybe I'm too bitter and twisted and cynical, <laughs> but I just think it'll benefit him. And I think it's this... I agree to a, to a degree what you say about James Wan, and bringing it to a wider audience. Yeah. But most of that audience would have probably gone anyway. Do you think? Well, I think b- before maybe Saw um, and Poltergeist Activity, there weren't too many big horrors that were making massive numbers. And now, like, producers are looking at the figures that the current crop of horror films... Like, for instance, uh, Happy Death Day was made for $4.5 million. Yeah. It's now done $60 million, like, in a week. It's that's, that's always been the advantage. I mean, that's why horror is sexy to producers, yeah, though. It's true, you know, you yeah. spend $600,000 and you get Halloween well, what, what, and make $100 did, million. Um, what did the Blair Witch Project cost? $20,000 yeah, exactly. $400 million or something. I, mean, I know that's, something like that. that doesn't happen very often, I know. But, and yeah. that really primed the pump, I thought, for James Wan. I mean, that is yeah. one of the U.S.'s probably only big folk horror films, yeah. is the Blair Witch. And that was 99. And there was really nothing. I mean, after the paperback boom ended, horror was a dirty word. Yeah. I mean, people really considered it akin to porn. I, I remember when I was uh, writing Horror Store, I'd say to someone, oh, I'm writing a, a horror novel, and you could see the steel shutters. I think, I think, it, I think it still is, though, right? I, I think, to some extent, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the word horror is not... I mean, if you go into most bookshops now, there isn't a horror section. It's all, it's all yeah. in fantasy. It's mixed in with fantasy and 
sci-fi. It's starting to come back, but yeah, I mean, Barnes and Noble, I remember the one in New York City, uh, their horror section came out in the 90s and just reappeared, and the entire thing is Stephen King and Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I, I've always said the thing that killed that 80s horror boom was Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Because people read it who didn't normally read horror, <laughs> thought they'd read a horror novel, which they hadn't. They'd read a horrific book. They hadn't read a horror novel. And the same with Misery. To me, Misery is not a horror book. It's not a horror film. It's a, fil it's a horrific film. But it's not a horror film. I know we, I know we yeah. don't want to get into this, like, defining what horror is. Yeah. But, no, but also, also though, I mean, one thing, it also helped launch this craze for serial killers. Yeah, and which, it, which hasn't abated, I don't has know. Not at all. True crime as yeah. well, it's massive. And, so, and you also had a lot of books getting produced very cheaply, and the, the focus was on the gore, you yeah. know, which there's not a problem with that until it's everything. Yeah. And I think that sort of, when that boom ended, there were too many books coming out, they were too cheap, there was very little editorial oversight, and a lot of them were basically serial killer books about women being mutilated and raped and murdered. Yeah. And I think that that uh, kind of stuck with horror now. Like, you know, when I say, oh, I write horror novels, people instantly assume I'm like wanking in my basement for like, you know, a, a woman's decapitated head. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a... It's when, a when of course, there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's a no. goat's decapitated yeah. head. You know, I'm not, I'm not sexist. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, horror really got stuck with that label. And, and 90s Blair Witch, and then when you had James Wan, who brought all this production value in with Saw, yeah. not a lot, but enough. You the know? first Saw, I think, is one of the best horror movies yeah, yeah, yeah. in the last 50 years. Well, also, Insidious, which was the first of his supernatural mm. ones, is a weird movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's not personal, but it's so much weirder and stranger than his other well, films. I think the, f the first one of any franchise is yeah. usually okay. It's just when you start getting to four, five, six, seven, it's like, oh, Jesus. And it's, it's, it's so generic and it's so formulaic yeah. and it's just yeah. like, Jesus, stop. But, of course, as long as they, get, they carry on making money, they'll yeah. keep making it. It's them. like with Happy Death Day. I don't know if you know the formula for making a slasher film, but the, it's always the third person they meet uh, this is a spoilers for Happy hmm. Death Day. The third person they meet is, is the killer. Really? Yeah. If, if, you go, if, you, if you kind of go, well, it doesn't happen all the time, but <laughs> I, I watched it with that in mind, and yeah. I guess oh. the only ones that uh, disrupt that are the Friday the 13th sequels. Yeah, yeah, yeah when yeah, you know yeah. who the killer is. But do they, meet, do they meet Mrs. Voorhees third in the first one? Ooh, good point. I don't know. Oh. It is based on something. I've, I've read tons about what, what, it. What he means is he's noticed that in, like, two films. Two films, yes. <laughs> um, but what do you think of the Blair Witch remake, and what do you think of the making kind of the classic horror films like Rob Zombie did the, Hallow the Halloween yeah, films. Yeah, he did, didn't Which he? Which I yeah. thought they were all right. There's nothing objective. Remake whatever yeah. you want. It's all fodder for the mill. I mean, good God. Uh, imitation of life. It's the original's okay. The remake's fabulous. Yeah. But um, I would say that the Blair Witch remake, I just didn't get the point. Um, no, it's it, just it, the, it didn't do anything. I mean, I, I think the, the original is superb. Yeah, it's, it's an I mean, amazing I, film. I, I was shaking when I came out of the yeah. I think that was fantastic. And I'll tell you another one I also think is great is uh, Lovely Molly, the, the same director. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I also think is incredibly yeah. disturbing. Um, yeah. But it's, like you say, re, yeah, remakes are okay as long as you're going to do it from a, something from a different angle. Yeah. But otherwise, I, I don't like that idea. So has there been any movies recently, horror movies, or, or it could be a rom-com, that have, le have left you shaken like that? So you think... Because, like, have you ever seen the film Lake Mungo, this Canadian sure. film? Which sure. one? Lake Mungo. No. It's about the death of uh, um, this, this couple's daughter right. and the slow 
reveal that she's trying to come back into into their lives and that spooks me just talking about it just now and I'm really desensitized to horror just the thought of a, a dead daughter coming back into this yeah. couple's life is no, I don't frightening know that, I, I can't think the last time I came oh no I think the last time I came out of a cinema really really scared was Kill List oh, oh yeah that was, that was the last film that really disturbed me yeah. I thought it was brilliant, but it really did disturb me. I think it disturbed me because I didn't really understand. I knew there was some kind of like folky horror thing going on, there's some kind of cult yeah. thing, but because I didn't understand it, it's, it's the unknown that just freaks I wa- me I out. I watched that, and then almost imi- the following day, I showed my daughter, who was old enough, The Wicker Man. And, uh-huh. and, and, I mean, the Wicker Man is fantastic. Yeah. I love that film. And what happened to Robin Hardy? Why did he never make anything else? It's so didn't weird. He, didn't he make uh, The Wicker Tree or so? Yeah. Which I, with it's, with it's, yeah. the hammer. Out no. of respect, I wasn't oh. going to mention that. Well, I've, <laughs> I've got it on DVD, but I've just never, ever yeah. watched it. It's like, I just can't. You know. But, you know, I think one of the things with horror that's so hard is horror is the one genre that's supposed to be true, right? It's um, uh, Henry James' Turn of the Screw. It's supposed to be a real story being told. It's always an old legend letters, old books. I mean, that's the tradition. Um, And when you see something, or at least when I first saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was a kid. It was a VHS tape. We put it in. You know, it was from the store, so it was a bad copy. And we were so freaked out because we were like, who are these people? Why did they get allowed to make a movie? Who lit this? This is dirty. This is gross. When you get a movie like the Blair Witch remake that comes with producers and a marketing campaign and all these things, it has a gloss. You know it's safe. Nothing bad will happen that will scare you because it's safe. It's you true. know where it comes from. When, when I, I find like going to like a weird carnival freak show or something or sideshow way scarier because you're like, it's who knows what these people's boundaries, they've yeah. probably been sniffing glue all afternoon, <laughs> you know? It's, um, and, and that's why I sort of like stuff like Prevenge and these lower budget things, yeah. Blair Witch Project, mm. you don't recognize the actors. You yeah. don't think, oh, there's that, you know, jerk who's in that other movie. You know, there's that person who's in the star. Yeah. He, he, you got to get rid of your sort of landmarks. Late Mungo's effective that way because it's not known actors. Well, yeah. d- didn't it work? I mean, it worked for me like that. I didn't know any of them. Yeah. Any of them were. Um, so for me, that made it work a little bit better. Like you so said, there was not. There's nothing worse than watch. It's like watching. Well, obviously watching the Mummy with Tom Cruise was purgatory anyway. But it's like <laughs> you, th- you think, well, he's not going to die because it's Tom yeah. Cruise. You know. Well, actually, Tom Cruise has bought the rights to Lake Mungo. Oh god. Um, so that will be an interesting. That's one word for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but should we talk about paperbacks from hell? So sure. Um, so. How much research did you do? Did you read a lot of them, or did you just kind of interview a bunch of people? No, I, uh, I, I was a journalist for a while, and I made a mistake early in my career where I didn't watch all the films in a retrospective, and I felt like such a fucking asshole after that. <laughs> like, I really just felt like... I, no one called me out on anything, but I was like, I really phoned that in. And, like, my job is literally to read and watch movies and write about them. This is not hard. I'm not digging ditches. I'm yeah. not on a building site. Mm-hmm. And so I read everything. If I write about it, I, I, I read it cover to cover. So, yeah, I read in, in a year about 326 of these. Wow. Um, it, had, it had a debilitating effect. <laughs> uh, and I'd read other ones before. But, and then I interviewed a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's a weird period of time. These paperbacks really came out of a totally different publishing industry. Mm-hmm. And the one 
thing they had to do was not bore people. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you've got Nazi leprechauns. You've got killer jellyfish. You've <laughs> got, you know, evil clowns riding a train that shows up in towns and they murder everyone. I mean, you've got death dolls. You've got marionettes that come alive and destroy a five-year-old's birthday party and murder all the five-year-olds. I mean, stuff is really balls out, you know, insane. <laughs> and, and you might read a really terrible, boring book like Keeper of Children, which is about a cult that recruits teenagers to become panhandlers and then somehow the cult master is getting wealthy off these buckets of change they're bringing him and one of the parents wants to get him but the way they enforce the cult is they all know yoga and we all think of yoga as sun salutations downward dog but no if you know yoga you can actually send your astral body apparently according to keep your children out and you can possess department store mannequins scarecrows and dolls and use them to murder the parents of the children who've been recruited yeah. to the cult so it's a really boring book until you get to a scene where, where a scarecrow breaks into a house and murders everyone which is really fun that sounds awesome and did reading those 320 odd kind of trashy pulp uh, paperbacks influence Wait, you <laughs> sorry <laughs> did they influence you into writing your own book like that no I mean this stuff was such a product of the 70s and 80s you know right. this book has come out and here look I'll show it to people because they can see yeah, the beautiful embossing Ooh. Wow. Um, see how it shines. <laughs> no, and I've actually had a bunch of producers uh, calling me like, oh, you know, we want you to write us this thing to show us which books we should option. And there's just no point. I'm like, yeah. why? These things are written in the 70s and 80s. No, no, and just, just give them a list of mine. Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> Spawn, yeah. slugs, yeah. Um, breeding ground. But, you know, it's just, what, what would be the point? These things were so of their time and place. And some of them are fabulous. There's some really great writers who've been forgotten. Ken Greenhall, uh, uh, Barry Wood, Joan Sampson since auctioneer. I mean, really great stuff, but I don't see the point, you know, and, and, and someone was saying, oh, but you know, the 80s nostalgia is, is hot, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, if you want to hump that leg, you know, you go right ahead, but that's just tedious. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to sound superior. If there was a bigger paycheck in it, I would do it, but it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like $500 to write them this giant list of things and then help them option them. I'm like, what? Yeah. Hollywood money's never as big as you think it's going to be. Yeah, I have no I've noticed that with, with my stuff. Um, and this brings us nicely onto your new book. You've got a new book. Oh, I have, yeah. Um, well, yeah, no, no, I, was just, no, I was just thinking, Grady's saying about it's not worth doing stuff from the 80s. I've just finished the script for Assassin, which came out in 1988. Um, I'm sure reminds, we'll be amazing. Yeah, it reminds, well, it reminds to be seen who's right, but anyway. Um, yeah, well, I've got a new book out here, Chase. What's that? What's that about? Oh, Christ, I was afraid you were going to ask that. Um, it's about a couple... I don't want to give too much away. I mean, I okay. don't want to give too much away. It's about a couple who, uh, well, and, and their young daughter, mm-hmm. who are going to go uh, in. A, they're going to drive an RV across Colorado or up and down Colorado. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> this sounds terrible, not being able to remember no, me own so work. Fun. But when you've written as much as I've, it gets a bit vague. Um, and they, when they get to America, they discover that the area that they're going to visit has been plagued by this crazy cult that kill kids of the age of their daughter. Um, nice. It's it's all to do. It's disgusting and full of violence. And <laughs> Sounds right up my street, to be quite it's, honest. It's like a cross. Yeah. It's like a cross between. Do you remember a film, a film called Race with the Devil? Yes. yes sure. Yeah. Well, it's it was very heavily influenced by that because I love that film. Driving uh, an RV down the motorway, yeah. Which is got, I mean, that's one that I always pray they're never going to remake. No, and then they're going to at some point. You <laughs> yeah, know well, they are. I know they are. I know but they are. Peter Fonda and Warren Oates or Warren Oates back when he, he was, was sexy he was and fantastic. dewy and yeah. he was brilliant. I, I thought that. that was going to take a turn. You were going to say they're going to drive this RV across Colorado and they get to America and just rediscover their love. 
love for one another and learn and grow. <laughs> Strangely enough, yeah. no. Right? Well, they sort of do. They yeah. sort of, I mean, there are romantic bits in it. Well, that's the great thing about horror. You know, Race with the Devil, they learn about themselves. They just have to murder a lot of cultists uh, beforehand. And actually, they... What think, can you do? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, that's it, basically. Um, um, are there any of your books that you, you've written that think would be a decent... Um... Yeah, Chase. <laughs> Chase, assassin. He, he disagrees. It's from the 80s. Um, I think Spawn would make a great film. Yeah. Nobody, I don't think I've read Spawn. What's no one nobody, nobody is ever going to make a movie no, they won't, Spawn. No, they won't. I'm just They'll telling never, you right now. What's no, Spawn about? Spawn, it's about... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's about um, aborted fetuses that are buried in a field behind the, ho- uh, behind the hospital okay. that are brought back to life by a lightning strike and telepathic- telepathically it is and telepathically kill the mothers who had them aborted uh, and while they're growing they feed on brains that the guy who's looking after them feeds them I don't want to spoil Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, but it does sound like an episode of... You that. mentioned dark Garth Marenghi once more. So I'm sorry. fucking microphone down your throat. Actually, just a Spawn thing on Sunday, because it has one of the great covers of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you know who the artist was? No one knows. Not, not of that one that's on the front of your book. Yeah. Right? That, well, no that, one that was the American version. Uh, yeah. I know the, the guy that did the, uh, the very first cover was a guy called Mike Brett. I know that. Right. He, was, he used to do all of them for W.H. Allen. He was, he was just locked. They wouldn't let him come out he was just locked in this room and it was like just chuck the artwork out when it's done but he was brilliant but I don't know who did that I mean that cover and it's it's I do a live version of paperbacks from hell I sing terribly I'm doing it here on Sunday on Sunday yeah Yeah. but one of the biggest laughs in the show comes with spawn a discussion of spawn and the cover well no people are so staggered that that was the plot for a book I, I think that comes back to what you were saying earlier on it was almost like at that time there were no, ta- there were taboos, right? And there were, believe it or not, a couple of scenes cut from that. Before it was, yeah. I have one of which. Well, yeah. I'll tell you like one of which was <laughs> written even it was cut even before it was written. Um, but the, it, I don't know. There was a different mentality then. It was like nobody, really, nobody gave a shit. It's like, well, as long as this is reasonably well written, it will probably be published anyway. So, you know, just because you've got you've got telepathic fetuses that are all, you know, look like Christ knows what, you know, causing brain hemorrhages in these women that Adam aborted. Doesn't matter. You know, yeah. all, it's all part of it. And probably people were kicking themselves going, we never thought of the telepathic exactly. reanimated exactly. abortion uh, genre before. Um, well, we, we don't have that much time left, so um, if people want to find out more about you guys um, and the things that you do, how would they... Wander around to that bloody great... <laughs> pile of chase around the corner and buy it I'll be there signing it later great and on social networks no um, I've got a, a website but I don't, yeah. I don't do Twitter I've got, okay. I've, got a, I've got an account under a false name for trolling celebrities but that's about <laughs> it um, so it's seanhudson.com uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Grady, where can people find you? Uh, right around the corner from here, against the wall. I think it's 57 something, the Quirk booth. Okay, I'll be yeah. signing there off and on, and I'll be around there. And then I'm like Sean, GradyHendrix.com. Yeah, and you'll on Twitter, it. you're... It's, you can find it right on the website. Yeah. Grady Hendrix, you'll get my Twitter links, my Facebookings, my Instagramings, <laughs> all that garbage. That's brilliant. And uh, Sean's got a new book out, and so has Grady. So please buy those books either here at Comic-Con or online. Anywhere. Um, my name's Jed Shepard. You can find me at Jed Shepard on Twitter, J-E-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. Post-pop records, I've got a record label as well, postpoprecords.com, postpoppodcast.com. Uh, this podcast is called What to Watch on Netflix and will be available next Wednesday, the day after Halloween. So thanks very much, guys, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs>